Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, today we begin a new uh, sermon series as we prepare ourselves for uh, this Christmas season. And we've called this series Arrival. And so over the next few uh, weeks, each week we're going to be uh, looking at a different passage from the Gospel of Luke that deals with uh, the coming of Jesus, his arrival on this earth, in order to prepare ourselves for, for that celebration here in a few weeks. And as we enter into this Christmas season, this preparation for Jesus' arrival, obviously this is not the first time in history that God's people have gathered together to uh, reflect on, to celebrate the fact that Jesus has come to this earth. And so, uh, there really isn't that much of a point to trying to reinvent the wheel. A few weeks ago, I was uh, having a text conversation with some friends of mine who were in ministry in different places across the country, and we were pairing uh, ideas, thoughts on what everyone was going to do for uh, Christmas Eve. People were looking for sermon ideas and, and things like that, and, and my contribution to the group was, well, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure yet, but I'm pretty confident that on Christmas Eve I'm going to talk about the birth of Jesus. They were as excited about that as you are. Uh, Okay. But because this time of year is such familiar territory, regardless of how familiar you are uh, with church, it's worth reminding ourselves that for years, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world dedicated this particular Sunday of the year each year to reflect on the idea of hope. Now, I I think I find myself every single year around this time of year thinking about that fact and and thinking to myself, well, that's probably a good idea. After the year we've had, it's probably good to spend some time reflecting on the idea of hope. And the fact that I find myself doing that, it seems like every single year, probably reveals more about the world we live in than it does about any one year in particular. We live in a world is constantly offering us potential solutions to fill our void of hope. Buy this and life will be more enjoyable. Get a raise at work and and things will feel more secure. Switch jobs and your stress will evaporate. Upgrade your phone, your tablet, your computer and work and, and life in general will run more seamlessly. Vote this person into office, vote that person out of office, and then all your problems will go away. Take a vacation, and you'll recharge. If you were just married, you'd be happy. Maybe if you weren't married, then you'd be happy. All those messages, even down to every advertisement you and I are shown every single day, in their own particular way, are trying to sell us a message of hope. There's something within each and every one of us, whether we recognize it or not, that is wanting. That is aware of the fact that things are not as they should be in this world. Things in our own individual lives are broken. And that leaves us looking for hope. Looking for solutions to that hole. Over the course of even the most mundane of days, if we're paying attention, we will see from every angle imaginable potential offers to that problem. Potential sources 
of hope. And maybe it's more accentuated this time of year as we start looking around for hope. I mean, darkness is more present this time of year than it is any other time of year. I don't think I'm the only person who's experienced recently the feeling of assuming it must be time for bed and looking at your watch and it's 7.30. And then you've got to figure out what to do for the next two hours because you wanted to go to bed. Uh, and that, that fact that darkness is more present can leave us longing for the light. We're in the last month of this calendar year, which kind of naturally causes us to want to look back over the last 12 months to wonder if we've done anything that's worth remembering over the past year. There's a part of us that longs for that meaning, longs to know that we have left an impact, longs to have hope for what we've done and for what the future holds. Humanity's always in need of hope. That's probably at least part of the reason why we find so many promises of hope this time of year. And yet those messages of hope that we hear time and time again, sooner or later, they do fall short. Advertisements promise us that if we just get that one thing for Christmas, we'll be so happy, everything will be great. But as soon as you get the trash picked up on Christmas morning, you found some kind of problem with whatever that was. The new car, the new house, it starts depreciating almost as soon as you sign the papers on it. That person who's supposed to make all your problems go away turns out to be just as imperfect as you are. So if all that is the case, then what we need this time of year and every time of year is not just some, some vague sense of hope out there in the universe that will get us through the day or the week at most. We need hope that lasts. We need hope that can bring with it expectation. And that sort of hope is what we encounter when we come to this time of year and we reflect on the coming of Jesus. Now that sort of hope is not some vague Christmas spirit that we might hear uh, all over the place this time of year. It's not even just hope that only comes from the fact that Jesus was born. If all we look to for hope is Jesus laying in a manger, our hope will stop a little bit short. I mean, a baby's adorable, but a baby on its own does not offer that much hope. I've never heard an infant give me a plan for world peace. And in the same way, only reflecting on the first coming of Jesus stops short of all of the fullness of hope that is available in the message of the gospel. As followers of Jesus, we do not believe only that Jesus came once in the past. We also believe that he will come again. And at this time of year where we are primarily concerned with celebrating that first arrival of Jesus, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's important for us to balance that, to keep in mind that there are two arrivals of Jesus. If the only hope that we, the people of God, have to offer to a world around us this time of year is that a long time ago on the other side of the world a baby was born? Our message stops a little bit short. But, if the hope that we have to offer is that not only a long time ago on the other side of the world a baby was born, but that baby lived a perfect life, 
died on the cross for our sins and not only died but raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and because of that we have life with God and one day he will return to make all things new when that full story is the source of our hope we have a hope that is far bigger that is much more full than any of the problems we might face day to day that is more thorough than any other potential solution that our world might offer up that is the hope we need this Sunday this time of year and every day of every year. So we're going to reflect on that sort of hope this morning. And to be perfectly honest, before we get into the text, uh, the text we're going to look at this morning might strike us as a little bit weird as a text to reflect on during the Christmas season. And if you think that, I might agree with you by the end of this sermon. We'll see how it goes. But this is a text that gets at the sort of hope we need, the sort of hope that we are looking for as we live in an imperfect world, as we live as people who know that Jesus has come and live in light of that first arrival and are also looking forward to that second arrival. I'm going to read our text for today for us. The words will be up on the screen as we read, but, but to be totally honest with you, this is a sermon where it might be helpful to have the words open in front of you as we go along in the rest of the sermon. If you have it Uh, the Bible on a device or want to get a Bible out from under a chair in front of you and follow along or if you brought your own Bible that might be beneficial for you Um, I'm not keeping score of who gets the Bible out and who doesn't I'm just trying to be helpful Uh, but we're going to be looking at one section of a teaching from Jesus where he is preaching directly to his followers directly to his closest disciples getting them ready for what life will be like after he is gone so we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 21 starting at verse 25 down to verse 36. It says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He, Jesus, told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and on all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly, like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let me just say what I'm sure at least some of you are thinking right now. This is a confusing passage. And because this is a a confusing passage, it can become easy for us to twist Jesus' words here to mean all sorts of things that we want him to mean and all sorts of things that he never intended. 
So before we unpack these verses we've just read specifically, it's important to zoom out just a little bit to get a sense for what is going on in this entire chapter. These verses we've just read are one part of a larger section of teaching from Jesus that comes during the last week of his life on earth while he is in Jerusalem. And three of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell us about this teaching. And it all begins, if you have the scripture open in front of you, you can look up in Luke 21 to verses 5 and 6. This teaching begins with the disciples marveling at how incredible the temple in Jerusalem looks. And Jesus responds to that marveling from them by telling them that one day the temple will be destroyed. And we know from history that that does happen about 40 years after Jesus gives this teaching. And this proclamation from Jesus is is really difficult for the disciples to stomach. I mean, Jesus, in their mind, was supposed to rule as a king in the temple. He has no business talking about the temple being destroyed. So the disciples asked Jesus to clarify what he means, and that sends him into this section of teaching within which the verses we just read are a part. And because this talk of a temp- the temple being destroyed would have been so different from what the disciples are expecting, Jesus uses this apocalyptic language in the verses we've read to explain what he is getting at. And writers and speakers in the ancient world often used language like this to try to explain the significance of political upheaval. Now, when I've talked about language like this in the past and tried to explain what, what that means, I, I, to be totally honest, I've had a hard time trying to work through what that sound, would sound like in our world today, what it means uh, for us to use language like that. But I think over the past few years, we have experienced something in our world that has often been hard to understand has been hard to explain, has been hard to get our arms around, and because of that fact, we've often resorted to using language to talk about it that is metaphorical, and we might even say apocalyptic. When I make this statement, in March 2020, the world stopped turning. I'm not making a literal statement. I'm not saying that planet Earth ceased to rotate on its axis. What I'm saying, and you all understand this pretty intuitively because you lived through it, is that our life changed pretty dramatically for all of us around that time. So many things were canceled. Those things that weren't canceled were moved to uh, online or they were socially distant and, and all of those things that has happened over the past few years. And Jesus does something similar in these verses. He's not necessarily describing a literal events that we have to uh, work through to, to try to find parallels with in our world today to try to explain what he's saying. He's describing a time that is going to come for his followers as he's speaking to them that is going to be full of upheaval. Things changing dramatically, governments being toppled, cities being destroyed, the foundations of their existence being shaken. And to try to get at what that will be like, he uses this language. He says there will be roaring and tossing of the sea. In the ancient world, the sea is a place of chaos because you can't control it. If you're out on the sea in a boat, you are completely at its mercy. If a storm blows up, there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to escape it. And Jesus is saying that this time that's going to come for his followers will be chaotic. It will be like being out in the middle of an ocean in a storm in a kayak. It will feel like earth itself is falling apart at its seams. We might have a little bit of an idea of, of what that looks like. I remember back early on, 
in the pandemic, I was listening to the news one morning and, and someone was being interviewed on the news about everything that was going on, cases spreading and skyrocketing and, and people being laid off of work and what that was doing to the economy and everything going on. And, and it got to the end of the interview and the newscaster kind of sighed and said to the person they were interviewing, uh, do you have any good news for us? And the person being interviewed said, not really. Living in turbulent times is unsettling, uncertain, leaves us desperate for hope. But when God's people live in the midst of turbulence, Jesus makes the point that it does not mean complete destruction for God's people. And he explains that using this Old Testament imagery. There in verse 27, Jesus says that in the midst of all of this chaos, those who are in distress will see the coming of the Son of Man, which is language taken straight out of Daniel chapter 7. In, in Daniel chapter 7, the, the prophet Daniel has this vision, and as he's describing it in verses 13 and 14, he says that he sees this one who looks like a Son of Man coming on the clouds into the presence of God. And he says, when this Son of Man comes into the presence of God, he is vindicated, he's given authority over all creation, and he's given a kingdom that will last forever. That's the background for this statement Jesus makes here. He says that he is the Son of Man that Daniel was looking forward to, this one who would come from earth into heaven, who would receive authority from God the Father to rule over all things. Jesus is saying that when these events that he is describing take place, the people who are observing them will know for certain that Jesus truly was who he claimed to be, that he was the Son of Man, and that he's been vindicated by God, and that he rules over all things. And when that recognition is made, Jesus calls his people to be ready. The lesson from everything Jesus is describing here is not to be fearful, it is to live with hope. When things are chaotic, when the rest of humanity is living in fear, terrified about what the future might bring, despairing that life as we know it is over, God's people live with hope. That is a message we need to be reminded of in times that seem uncertain. Living with hope means that even in the midst of chaos, we know that God is near. We do not live as if our preferred political candidate has to win the election because if they don't, life will be over. We do not live as if we have to have the love of that one person who is perfect in every way, and if they reject us, our existence will have no meaning. We do not live as if we have to get accepted into that school. We have to get that job or that promotion, and if it doesn't happen, everything we've done up to that point will be a waste. We do not live as if our kids have to be successful in order for life to be worth living, and, and if they're not, then our life and theirs will be ruined. God's people live with hope. God's people are able to look at the world around us, fully aware of the fact that it does not function as it should, fully aware that we live in a world with natural disasters and, and disease and corrupt leaders and death, and yet we also live with hope knowing that our redemption does not come from this world. It comes from the Son of Man who has been given authority over all things. 
The hope of the gospel gives us the expectation that no matter how difficult things might be in front of us, our redemption draws near through Christ. If you find yourself fearful and anxious and you're desperate for a solution, draw near to our God this morning. Find peace in the message of Jesus. Because God's people have this perspective of hope, Jesus uses a parable there in verses 29 to 31 to make the point that living with hope means we can look at the world around us with clear eyes. The hope of the gospel means we are able to discern the events of our lives with God's perspective. When the test comes back positive, we can be confident that no matter what the end result is, God will be near. When we're at the end of our rope and don't feel able to make it through another day, the gospel reminds us that God is walking alongside of us. As Jesus speaks to people here in this passage who are trying to come to terms with what an uncertain future will hold, he reminds them that God's kingdom will not be defeated. As we live in times that might sometimes seem uncertain even now, may we be reminded that hope is available in Jesus. And that hope gives us eyes to see where God is at work in us and around us even when life is hard. And as Jesus gets to the end of this sermon, he makes two statements there in verses 32 and 33. First off, he says, this generation will not pass away before this all takes place. And then he says that his words will never pass away. And I think it's worth keeping those two statements together. The first statement drives the point home that what Jesus is talking about here is not something way off in the future that his followers will never experience. It's a message that the people listening to him as he speaks need to hear because it pertains to them. The events Jesus describes here will take place in their lifetime. And that statement is important for us to keep in mind in the context of this entire sermon so that we don't twist Jesus' Jesus's words into something that he didn't mean, but... If we only take that statement on its own, without the second one there in verse 33, we might swing too far in the other direction and assume that there's nothing in this passage for us and we can just ignore it. This chapter might primarily be for those listening to Jesus' words in Luke 21, but that does not mean there is nothing in these verses for us. Jesus' words can be trusted and therefore it is vital that we take him seriously. When we take him seriously, we keep reading, we get to verses 34 to 36, the very end of this passage, and it sounds pretty ominous. It sounds like Jesus is giving us a stern warning, saying, you better keep all of my rules while I'm gone, because, because he's watching, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice, or something like that. And I don't want to soften Jesus' words here, because they are a warning. But the warning from Jesus here is not, you better keep all my rules or you're going to be in big trouble. The warning from Jesus' words here are, you will hear all sorts of messages for false hope. You will hear all sorts of things that try to tell you you can trust in them instead of in me. And do not believe them because they will fail you. But I will not. In the years between Jesus giving this teaching here in Luke 21 and, and, and the events that he's looking forward to happening, following him was no walk in the park. Beyond just the everyday struggles of life in a broken world, the first followers of Jesus would experience threats and persecution and even death purely because they belonged to Jesus. And when that is the reality, 
It would become easy to want to buy into other messages of hope, something that's easier, something that's more comfortable, less stressful, that's not going to put my life and the life of my family in danger. And because that is the reality that so many of Jesus' disciples would experience, Jesus makes the point here that following him might not always be easy, but it will be worth it. He is who he claimed to be, and therefore, hold on to him. And we need to hear that as well. Each of us will one day get to the end of our life, and at that point, the only thing that will matter is how we responded to Jesus. For those who trusted in him through the highs and the lows, we see that they find life. For those who did not, Jesus says that the end is not a happy one. Life apart from him might look like freedom in the short term, but it leads to destruction in the long term. And just like the people Jesus is speaking to as he gives this teaching, we live in a world with distractions, with messages of false hope that can promise us a more comfortable existence. And those aren't always bad things. Sometimes they're just good things that crowd out the best thing. I've heard it said that adulthood is just saying next week things will slow down over and over and then one day you die. And I think that might be right. But in the midst of the busyness of the day today, it is absolutely essential that we do not lose sight of the source of our hope. The hope of the message of Jesus is not just essential this time of year when the kids have time off from school and we're getting together with family and everyone's celebrating Christmas already, so it makes sense to think about Jesus. The message of Jesus is our hope every single month of the year. So absolutely celebrate the birth of Jesus. Celebrate the hope of the gospel over the next few weeks, but do not just celebrate it over the next few weeks. Rest in the hope of Jesus. Because it is only in that hope where we find true life. And when we focus on the hope of Jesus, it will always call us to look forward. In this season where we are celebrating his first arrival, the expectation of his second arrival is the source of our hope. Christ has come to redeem us from sin and death, and he will one day come again to make all things new. And that's the main thing for us to take away this morning. Because this is a confusing passage, you can find all sorts of explanations on different details of this chapter. Some of them are helpful and well-reasoned, and some of them are not. Some of you listening to me right now might have different opinions on some of the nuts and bolts of this passage, and to a certain extent, that's okay. We can disagree on some of the minor details of this passage as long as we do not lose sight of the main point Jesus is making in this chapter. Live as people grounded in hope. I hope for what you take away this morning is not that you agree with me on every last detail of every little word in this passage. My hope is that you will trust in Jesus. For the people listening to Jesus when he first gave this teaching all the way down to us as we look at this passage today, the point is the same. Put your hope in Jesus. There are all sorts of, of false promises of hope in our world every single day, just as there were for these first uh, followers of Jesus. And all those sources of hope will fail, but Jesus does not. When we know that, we can live with steadfastness in the present as we look forward to what he will do in the future. 
the hope we need, the hope that our world needs, might not be as flashy or as exciting as other messages that make bold promises and cannot deliver, but it's constant. And it invites us into life with God. So as we live in a world that is imperfect, a world searching for answers, a world searching for hope, as we live with this hope in our own lives and offer it to the world around us, in light of the redemption we have experienced in part and will one day experience in full, that is hope that will sustain us. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says uh, in his commentary on this passage that a life of hope is less... Uh, it's less glorious battles. It's less exciting victories. It's more steady progress. It's regular rhythms of things like prayer and scripture and worship and taking communion and living life together. As we remind ourselves and we remind one another of the hope we have in Jesus. So as we're beginning this season of celebrating his arrival. May we hang on to hope. May we remind ourselves and one another that Jesus has come and he will come again and therefore we do not give up. We do not grow weary. We trust in the one who has come and the one who has said that he will come again and will restore all things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope we have in the message of the gospel. That you do not treat us as our sins deserve. But you sent your son to show us love and grace so that we might be brought into life with you. So God, as we look back on the fact that Christ has come, may that be our source of hope. Our firm foundation when things around us seem un uncertain when it feels like the sky itself might be falling. God, draw us near through your Son. Remind us of the hope we have in you. And may our hope also calls, call us to look forward. May we be reminded of who you are, what you have promised will come to pass. May we long for that day when Christ will come, wipe every tear from our eyes and make all things new. And as we live in the meantime, looking forward to that day, fill us with hope. As we walk with you through the highs and the lows, may we continue to make steady progress as we go deeper and deeper into who you've called us to be. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.